My name is Andy. I'm lead pastor here at Lakeview Church. And if you want to grab a Bible and find Acts chapter 1, if you're using one of the Bibles in the pockets, the seat pockets in front of you, it's on page 1090. If you've got an, a Bible on your app, it's a little easier. Uh, <laughs> but Acts is the fifth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts. So you can uh, find that while you're getting there. Um, I'm going to just give a little bit, of, a little introduction to the message today. But before I do that, you may not realize, but the, the uh, second song that we sang, uh, the one that we sang right after Build Your Kingdom Here, was actually written by our worship team at Lakeview Church. And so, yeah. So that's fun to be singing songs that God is putting on the hearts of our, of our worship leaders. Uh, so we are starting a new series today that will actually take us about probably two years to get through um, because we'll be jumping in and out of the book of Acts. We're going to go verse by verse through the whole book of Acts. I mapped it out uh, into 52 sermons um, and so if we, as we jump in and out of Acts, we'll mix it up with some topical things and everything. But we're going to be in Acts probably for the next couple of years. And I'm super excited about what God's going to show us in this book. The book of Acts really chronicles how Christianity began. Uh, how, did, how did this movement that, that's called Christianity begin? Where did it come from? How did it originate? We have the story of Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But then what happened after Jesus was crucified and then he was resurrected and then he ascended into heaven? And how did it go from this ragtag band of about 120 disciples who had stayed faithful to Jesus even through all that crucifixion stuff to now where Christianity is today. How did it start? Where did it come from? Uh, and how did we get where we are? And that's really what the book of Acts is all about. And just to give you a little, uh, a little st- statistical data about where Christianity is today and how this movement began. Uh, according to Pew Research uh, Study and also a book called The Next Christendom by Philip Jenkins and some other resources uh, that I uh, found in my research this week, uh, Today, there are about 2.3 billion Christians alive in our world. About 31% of the total human population is Christian. In 1910, there were about 600 million. So since 1910, Christianity has grown from about 600 million people to 2.3 billion Christians worldwide. It's a pretty phenomenal movement. Uh, Christianity is the largest religious movement in history, in the world today, uh, more than twice the size of uh, Islam, which is the second, uh, the second largest religion. Uh, there, are more, uh, there are more Christians in Africa, the continent of Africa, there are more Christians in Africa today than there are people in the United States, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, Christianity is growing so fast in China that many sociologists believe it, China will become the world's most Christian nation by the year 2030, right? Even more Christian than our country, the United States. Many sociologists believe that China, if it keeps on its current trend, it will be the, most, the world's most Christian nation by 2030. Um, uh, it, within Christianity, 
within this 2.3 billion Christians worldwide, there's an estimated 600 million Pentecostal and charismatic Christians. So about one out of every four Christians in the world today is Pentecostal or charismatic. It's, the, it's one of the largest uh, branches of the Christian church. There are an estimated 285 million non-charismatic evangelical Christians in the world today. Um, it's estimated that there are about 1.2 billion Roman Catholics and about 260 million Eastern Orthodox, and then a smattering of all the others <laughs> that just kind of mixed in there. That's just a little information about where Christianity is and, and how did it go from uh, Jesus' followers? He had 12 apostles, and then, and then he had about 120 uh, followers, disciples that were in the upper room way back about 2,000 years ago after Jesus was uh, ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit was poured out. We'll see that when we get to Acts chapter 2. But how did it go from about 120 people to 2.3 billion alive in the world today? One, almost, 30%, almost 31% of the total human population. How did that happen? Where did it come from? That is what the book of Acts tells us, how Christianity began. And if you're sitting in this room, chances are you would identify yourself as a Christian or maybe as someone who is exploring Christianity or checking out this God thing. You're, if, if you're exploring and seeking Welcome. Feel free to ask any questions that, uh, that you have. We would love to answer them if we can. But this is, this is the study that we're going into is, is how did Christianity begin? And that's what the book of Acts is all about. So uh, just a little information about the book of Acts. The book of Acts is actually a sequel to another book in the New Testament, the Gospel of Luke. If you look in Acts chapter one, the very first verse It says this, in my former book, Theophilus, in my former book. What's the former book he's talking about? He's talking about the Gospel of Luke. So uh, Acts was written by uh, a man named Luke. Luke was not Jewish. He was a Gentile, and he was a traveling companion with the Apostle Paul. Uh, He talked and interviewed Peter. Uh, He put together, Luke was really, he was a doctor, he was a physician, and he was also an historian. And he put together, um, uh, he, he did research and he interviewed eyewitnesses uh, and, and testimony accounts and different things. And he put together the Gospel of Luke, which is like a, sort of like a biography of Jesus. And then he wrote the book of Acts as a part two, as a sequel to his gospel. So right there in the very beginning of Acts, he says, in my former book, Theophilus, he wrote these books to a man named Theophilus who uh, many scholars believe was a relatively young uh, convert to Christianity. And so Luke was sort of writing this to instruct uh, this young believer in his faith. Um, And the Gospel of Luke is part one. The book of Acts is part two. And so uh, it was written about the year 70 A.D., But uh, if you're really going to understand the book of Acts, you really should start with reading the Gospel of Luke, since that's the setup. And the book of Acts continues that. Uh, So it was written by Luke, written to Theophilus. Why did he write it? Why did he write this book? Well, the first thing was to assure Theophilus in his faith. You say, where do you get that? Well, if you go back to the Gospel that Luke wrote, Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Luke begins his gospel like this. He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, 
just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. See, Luke says there are many stories going around about who Jesus was and what he did and the miracles and the death and the resurrection and all those things. And Luke says, uh, since all those stories are going around, I wanted to investigate them all for myself. So Luke interviewed people. He interviewed people like Jesus' mother and his original apostles and some of the witnesses that saw the miracles. And he talked to people that had been healed by Jesus. And he talked to, to uh, all these people. And he, he put together his own record of events for Theophilus so that he could assure Theophilus in his faith And that's why he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and that's why he wrote the book of Acts. It was a continuation. Uh, The the first reason was to assure Theophilus. The second was to continue the story of Jesus. If you go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. The Gospel of Luke is really about the beginning of, of Jesus' ministry. But the Gospel of Luke ends with Jesus ascending into heaven. So, so he wrote the book of Acts to, to continue the story of Jesus, but the question really is, how can Jesus' ministry continue when Jesus is not physically present any longer? We have this whole book of Acts that is about the continuation of the story of Christ, but Jesus isn't physically present in the world anymore. He ascended into heaven. So how did he do that? Well, he wrote to continue the story of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The work and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus continues, even though he's not physically present, it continues through the Holy Spirit. We see that in uh, verses four and five. On one occasion, Luke is, uh, is telling us, on one occasion, while he, meaning Jesus, was eating with them, his disciples, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Luke talks more about the Holy Spirit than any other New Testament author. It's really a main idea or a main focus or an emphasis in his book, both books, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And he really writes this to continue the story of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. The third reason that Luke wrote the book of Acts was to show where the church and where Christianity came from. How did this movement begin? And, And Luke writes to show us together what it means to be the church. See, the church isn't a building. In the English word, we use the word church and we talk about a building. Oh, I'm gonna run out to the church this morning. Or we talk about a service. I'm going to church, meaning I'm going to sing and listen to a message and maybe uh, throw a $5 bill in the offering plate if it passes or whatever. But in the Bible, the word church actually means a group of people. It means a congregation. It doesn't mean a building. It doesn't mean a service. It means a congregation of people. And so Luke writes the book of Acts to show us together what it means to be 
God's family, to be the church, and he also writes to show you and me individually what it means to be a Christian. So we have the church, the collective group of God's people, and then we have Christians who are followers of Jesus personally. And Luke writes this book to show us both what it means to together to be the church and what it means individually to be a Christian. The fourth reason why Luke wrote the book of Acts is to show how the message of Jesus crosses boundaries. This is one of my favorite things that, that we see throughout the book of Acts. The, me- the message of Jesus, the good news, the gospel of Christ, crosses every human dividing line that we set up to separate ourselves out. And we see that in the book of Acts. The, the gospel is preached to Jews and Gentiles. It crosses racial and ethnic and cultural boundaries. It's preached to rich and poor. It crosses socioeconomic boundaries. It's, it's preached to the poor and to the powerful, to the oppressed and to the popular. It's preached to old and young, to men and women. All of, the, all of these people are invited to follow Jesus and to receive the Holy Spirit who is given to everyone who follows Christ. Uh, salvation is for all, because Jesus is Lord of all, and that's a big point that Luke makes in this book. And we'll see how the gospel pushes past political divide, uh, racial divide, um, different ideologies, different uh, 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 stereotypes. The gospel of Christ knows no boundaries. We like to divide these lines and, and separate us out. Well, how do you vote? Well, I vote this way. Well, what color is your skin? My, my skin's this color. I'm a man, I'm a woman, this, whatever. We like to divide ourselves all up by this stuff, but the gospel is for everybody. Christianity is the most inclusive religious movement that has ever uh, been in human history. All are welcome at the foot of the cross and all receive the spirit when they have faith in Christ. It crosses boundaries. The last reason that I have that Luke wrote the book of Acts is to prove that God's mission is unstoppable. And that's the title of the series, Unstoppable. Because when you read through the book of Acts, you just get this idea that nothing can stop the good news of Jesus Christ from changing lives, from setting people free from addiction, from healing the sick, from setting people free from spiritual oppression. Nothing can stop the gospel of Christ from changing the world one life at a time. It is literally unstoppable. It overgoes every single obstacle that comes against it, and it overrides that. It is unstoppable. Those are some reasons why Luke wrote the book of Acts, and those are some things we're going to see over the next couple of years as we study this incredible book. So the first, uh, the first week in the series, we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, uh, and this will be on the screen or you can use your Bible too. Let's just read through this, the, these, this opening section of the book of Acts. Luke writes this, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering... He presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days 
and spoke about the kingdom of God. After Jesus was crucified and resurrected, he appeared to the disciples many different times over a period of about 40 days. And then in verse 4, it says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them. We don't often think about the resurrected Jesus having a meal with them, right? But he, he wasn't just a ghost. He was a physical person who had been resurrected from the dead. He was eating with them, and he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, angels. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go up into heaven this is the opening section of the book of acts and if you underline or highlight in your bible and i do recommend that you do i would encourage you to highlight verses seven and eight verses seven and eight are the key verses in the book of acts Uh, let's just read those jesus said it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all judea and samaria and to the ends of the earth if you underline or highlight underline those verses this is the key to understanding the whole book of acts this is the outline by which luke organizes the rest of the book He talks about how the gospel goes out in Jerusalem and then he shifts gears a little bit and talks about how it spreads in Judea and Samaria and then he shows in the last part of the book how it goes out to the very ends of the earth including, we know now, 2,000 years later, all the way to Stoughton, Wisconsin. But this is the outline. This is the key verse. This is the key to understanding the book of Acts. And so I really want us to dig into these two particular verses this morning as we prepare and launch into this great book of the Bible. I want to highlight three things from verses 7 and 8 about how the Christian life is lived. What does it mean to be a Christian? One of the biggest things, one of the biggest purposes Luke had in writing both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts was to show us what it means to be a Christian. We, we know that we become a Christian by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, by trusting in Christ alone for our salvation. But, but what does it mean to be a Christian after we have given our lives to Jesus, after we have surrendered our hearts and our minds to the Lord? What does it mean to be a Christian? That's one of Luke's biggest purposes in writing this book. And I want to highlight three things out of these two verses. First of all, the Christian life is lived with God's priorities. What it means to be a Christian is to live with God's priorities. 
Verse 7, Jesus said to his disciples, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. What's he talking about there? Well, if you back up one verse, they had gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, it's a good thing that Jesus wasn't me. (laughs) because you can think he spent three years with his disciples teaching them all about God's kingdom and then he was crucified and he was resurrected and he spent 40 days with his disciples like explaining how the scriptures all point to him and, and what this message is and then moments before his feet leave the ground they say are you gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? And if it had been me I would have snapped my fingers and lightning would have fallen from heaven and burned them all up because I would have been like, you guys still don't get it, do you? This is not about a political kingdom. This is not about a political agenda. This is not about uh, restoring the kingdom to Israel right now, like overthrowing the Roman government. See, the, the nation of Israel had been conquered by the Romans and they were living in subjugation to the Roman emperor and the Roman government. And they thought the Messiah was going to come and lead an army in a rebellion against Rome and have a military victory defeating the Roman government government and then lead the army around the whole world and conquer the rest of the world and that's what they thought was going to happen and they're like all right we've been waiting for this for three years through a crucifixion through a resurrection where's our swords let's go fight and Jesus is like he had to have well he knew about this ahead of time because he's God and he's not me so they they didn't get killed but anyway you have to think man this this was surely frustrating The Christian life is not about our priorities. It is about God's priorities. The disciples' competing priorities were their political views. We also have competing priorities, things that vie for our hearts, things that try to pull our attention away from God and distract us from living the life that God's called us to live. Uh, uh, Richard Foster, who uh, wrote a book called The Spirit of the Disciplines, um, great book, great theologian, he identified the, the big three. He, he calls them the big three competing priorities, things that pull our hearts away from God. Sex, power, and money. The big three that almost every single human being struggles with that pulls our attention away from God, that pulls our priorities away from God's priorities, sex, power, and money. Uh, There are many other things. Theology. How many Christians divide over secondary theological issues like the precise timeline of events that will precipitate Jesus' return or what precise day or time he will come back? We, we oftentimes divide over, over theological things. Um, politics. We divide over politics. We divide, uh, we, we, are, we compete with our priorities about like happiness. In America, one of the number one values in life is to be happy. Whatever you need to do to be happy, do it. But that's not really what the Bible says. Happiness is not our number one priority. The Christian life is lived with God's priorities, not ours. Uh, happiness, um, being a, a, a moral person, or a leg- that, that kind of goes into legalism. We're so focused on living the right way and following all the rules that we can get distracted from the, 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 the gospel. When 
go into legalism. Sometimes our social life distracts us from following Christ. We're so, uh, we're so infatuated with our friendships and having fun and, and being friends and developing these relationships that we neglect prayer and worship and developing our relationship with God. Uh, family can be a competing priority for Christians. We think, oh, family is the most important thing. No, God is the most important thing. And we should love God more than we love our wives or our husbands or our children. God is first. Family is next. But that's often a competing priority. Uh, Work, our jobs, can be a competing priority with God. But the Christian life, Luke says, is lived with God's priorities. When I was a young adult, I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, That was what I wanted to do. When I was in college, I really wanted to do that, and I knew that's not what God wanted me to do, but that's what I wanted to do. And I thought, you know, maybe I would go into wildlife management, or maybe I would study wildlife and produce all this research that would be whatever. And and so I I was trying to make these deals with God why I could pursue my priority for my life and ignore God's priority for my life. I knew God was calling me to be a worship arts pastor at that time, and I didn't want to do that. I had my own agenda. And every single time I tried to pursue that agenda, God shut me down. He shut me down. He he pulled scholarships. He closed doors. He did all these things to shut me down because I wasn't following God's priorities. And it wasn't until I started following God's priorities that things began to work in my life. The Christian life is lived with God's priorities, and I learned that the hard way. The question I would have is this. What is keeping you from pursuing God's will for your life? What is distracting you from growing in your own personal relationship with the Lord? Where are your priorities not in alignment with God's priorities? God has a plan for every one of us. Are we following that plan? The Christian life is lived with God's priorities, not ours. The the second thing I want to pull out of these verses is the Christian life is lived in God's power. With God's priorities, in God's power. Look at the first half of verse 8. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Power. We can't actually live the Christian life without the power of God enabling us to do so. And I have known so many people who follow Jesus who say, yes, I'm a believer, yes, I'm a Christian, but my faith in Jesus has made no impact whatsoever in my life. I've never experienced the presence of God. I've never had an encounter with God. I've never experienced victory over sin in my life. I've never had God speak to me. I wouldn't even know that I'm a Christian except I force myself to believe this book. And that's because they're not plugged into the power of God in their life. See, we have access to unlimited power through the Holy Spirit who lives in our hearts. When you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes into your body and he dwells in there, the third person of the Trinity, God himself living in you. You have access to unlimited, unbelievable power. But if you live disconnected from that power, it won't have any real traction in your life. And if you want to have traction with God, you have to surrender to the power of the Holy Spirit in, in you. The Christian life is lived 
in the power of the Holy Spirit. It cannot be lived successfully apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. It requires his presence in our lives. We'll see that all through the book of Acts. You say, well, how can I do that? How can I be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? I would encourage you to, to go on our website, go back to last spring. We did a series through the Holy Spirit, uh, all about the Holy Spirit. We talked a lot about that, um, so look that up. But I want to give you four uh, ways that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. These come from uh, Dr. John Piper's blog, DesiringGod.org. These are great. Uh, the first thing he says is this. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, immerse yourself in the Word of God. Go deep into God's word. Put his word in your heart. Put his word in your mind. Read it, even if it's just a couple of verses every day. Just read it. Just take five minutes a day to, to immerse yourself in the word of God to be filled with the spirit. The second thing he says is to believe that word and trust God. Not just read the word of God, but actually believe it and then trust God. Put your trust, put your faith in God who is revealed in his word. You have to trust God if you want him to fill you with the power of the spirit. The third thing he says is to pray earnestly for it, sometimes with fasting. We don't talk a lot about fasting in churches today. But if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, pray. Uh, Immerse yourself in God's word. Believe it, trust God. Spend time in prayer asking God to fill you with his spirit and with his power. And sometimes that includes fasting. Fasting is where you, you uh, traditionally it's where you don't eat for a period of time. Now, I, I know that there are different uh, medical conditions and that's not always a safe thing for people. My dad cannot fast. He's hypoglycemic. If he doesn't eat every so often, he'll pass out. Uh, so you can fast in other things. I would love if everybody would fast from Facebook, right? Like for a week, just fast from Facebook. That would be wonderful uh, and hard. Um, You can fast food. You can fast coffee. I don't think I could fast coffee, but you can fast coffee. (laughs) Uh, But pray and ask God to fill you with his spirit and sometimes fast as as an act of devotion, as an act of emptying yourself so that God can fill you. Uh, the, the, the fourth thing that Piper says on his blog, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, is to obey the Holy Spirit. See, we, can't, we have to have an attitude that whatever God tells us, we're going to be obedient to. And he's already told us a lot in this word. We have to decide ahead of time that whatever God says, we're, gonna, we're going to obey. We can't have this attitude like this. Okay, God, I want to be filled with your Spirit And if I agree with what you call me to do, then I will obey. Now, fill me. That's not how it works. We have to say, okay, God, I want to be filled with your spirit. Whatever you command, I will do before I know what it is you're commanding. You have to decide to be obedient. If you do, God will give you instruction and he will give you the power of the Holy Spirit in you to accomplish what he's calling you to do. The Christian life is lived, number one, with God's priorities, number two, in God's power, and number three, the Christian life is lived for God's purpose. It is for God's purpose. That's the second half of verse eight. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. 
in Jerusalem and on all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, it is about God's purpose. It's not about our priorities. It's about God's priorities. It's not about our agenda. It is about God's will and God's purpose. Being a Christian means surrendering ourselves to the purpose and the will of God. We need to align our priorities with God's priorities. We need to plug into God's power that is in us so that we can fulfill God's purpose for us. What is God's will for my life? What is God's plan for me? Many people ask that all the time. How do I know what God wants me to do? Well, he's given that really clearly right here. He says, you will be my witnesses. That's one of God's main purposes for saving us is so that we can be his witness. We can be a reflection of him. And he says, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, really what he's talking about is wherever you are. Anywhere you are, everywhere you are, you are a witness for Christ. You are a reflection of the image of God. You are a reflection of Jesus. Now, what does it mean to do that? What does it mean to live as a witness for Christ? I think one of the best uh, ways to illustrate this, I didn't come up with this. I heard another pastor uh, uh, use this illustration. Uh, Think about the difference between an ambassador and a citizen. So uh, every country sends ambassadors out to other countries, right? And the United States sends ambassadors out to other countries uh, like Germany, let's just say. So um, the, the United States ambassador to Germany is not a citizen of Germany. He or she is a citizen of the United States. They represent the, the interests of the United States. They uh, live as an American in Germany. They speak on behalf of the United States. They speak on behalf of the President of the United States. They speak at the bidding of the President of the United States, and they carry out his wishes in Germany on behalf as an official representative of the United States. That's what an ambassador is. A citizen of Germany isn't an ambassador. They don't uh, represent the United States. They don't care about the United States. They are representing Germany. They are living as a German citizen. Um, So if you think about what does it mean to live as a uh, a missionary for Jesus, it's this. Think about being an ambassador for Christ. My citizenship is in the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere I go, everywhere I live, I am living first as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, as a son or a daughter of Christ. Christ. My job is to represent Christ in everything that I do. My job is to speak on behalf of Christ. My job is to carry out the wishes and the will of Christ wherever I am as an official representative of the kingdom of God, as an official representative of Jesus. My job is to live as a citizen of heaven in the world that I find myself in because I am an ambassador for Christ. That's what he's talking about when he says, you will be my witnesses. That's what it means to live as a witness. It's to live as an ambassador, or to put it another way, to live as a missionary. All of us are missionaries. In churches, we often think that missionaries are the people who leave everything, sell it all off, and go uh, across the ocean to some impoverished country and live there forever uh, and, and you know, do ministry and start churches and feed hungry children and all those things. And that's true. Those people are missionaries. But all of us are also missionaries. And if you think of yourself as a missionary, if you live your life through the eyes of a missionary, how would that change how you live? 
how would that change how you, how you live at work? How would that change how you live in your home? How would that change how you live at school? How would that change how you live in your neighborhood? We are living as missionaries. All of us are ministers and missionaries because all of us are ambassadors for Christ. We are his witnesses. The Christian life is lived for God's purpose. We could say it this way. This is a summary statement. The book of Acts that we're starting today, the book of Acts is about the Christian life lived with God's priorities, in God's power, for God's purpose. It is about continuing the ministry and teaching of Jesus in our world today through his Holy Spirit at work in us. That's what the book of Acts is about, and that's what we're going to explore over the next couple years as we study the book of Acts. Um, I want to leave you by pointing out a resource in your bulletin. looks like this. It says unstoppable on the front. It's got the graphic that uh, uh, Becky Keist designed for this sermon series. And um, inside, there is a Bible reading plan through the book of Acts uh, in 50 sessions. And so uh, if you want to start reading through the book of Acts, you can follow that Bible reading plan. If you read, you know, one section a week in a year, you'll be through the whole book. Uh, we could probably go a little faster than that. But, you know, this is just for you to read through the book of Acts. I would encourage you to do that. Um, and if you want to start with the Gospel of Luke, that would be even better. But uh, um, this is the book of Acts, and this is what we're starting off and launching into. Next week, we're going to be looking at what do we do while we wait? All of us have times of waiting in our lives. And what do we do while we're waiting on God to move? 